Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Hi there, and welcome back to session five of Follow, as we examine what it means to take daily steps with Jesus. As disciples, we don't simply want to know about Jesus. We want to follow Him with everything that we are, with every facet of our lives. And so these six life-giving habits that we are examining, they work to establish us in the new life that Jesus alone gives. And in this session, we want to look at our fifth habit, I cultivate a life of generosity. I cultivate a life of generosity. Probably one of the most beautiful displays of nature's beauty is this great sequoia tree in California, the USA, and it's been nicknamed General Sherman. This tree is more than two and a half thousand years old. It's the biggest and oldest tree on the face of the planet. It's almost a hundred meters tall and its base circumference is nearly 30 meters. This thing is enormous. But what's so amazing about it is that this massive, massive tree has its origin in very, very tiny little seeds. In fact, you need almost 90,000 of these seeds to make up a single kilogram. And so something cultivated over many seasons shows us that it can bring something great and enormous from something so small. And when we speak about generosity, the same principle applies. We start small with what we have and we cultivate with the end in mind. Because what we give, whatever it is, can make an enormous impact in the world around us for God's kingdom. It's this kind of consistency that Eugene Peterson spoke of when he said, Christian discipleship is long obedience in the same direction. And so how do we cultivate this kind of kingdom mind when it comes to our money and our stewardship and our possessions? I want us to look at three principles. And the first principle is this. It's that we now live for a new king and a new kingdom. You see, when we started following Jesus, something dramatic happened. We were transferred from one kingdom into another, the Bible says. It was a complete transformation. And this transformation was so radical that it implies a whole new worldview a completely new way of seeing life and doing life. It's for this reason that the Christian philosopher C.S. Lewis famously said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because I see everything else by it. And so now we ask, what does generosity look like from this new kingdom perspective? What does it look like from the vantage point of this new 
king because Jesus often spoke about the nature of the king and the kingdom that he brought to this earth. Luke 17 verse 20 says, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or Matthew 6, 33, where he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The biblical scholar Eugene Peterson, his paraphrase of the Bible puts this verse so beautifully when it says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out because you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. So as with everything else, now in a new kingdom, when it comes to my finances and my stewardship, my greatest concern is the kingdom of God. I mean, just imagine with me in ancient times, a king would conquer a land and just imagine how the people would have to adapt to the new rule of this king and his new kingdom. It must have been life altering. Well, the Bible says that Christians now live under the rulership of a new king, the most loving, truthful, gracious king in all of the universe. And so this journey of coming to know his ways and his heart and his vision, this is what it means for us to have our head and our heart and our hands transformed. So this is why Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. But maybe a question would be, why is it so crucially important to have our minds renewed when it comes to finances and stewardship? Listen to 1 Timothy 6.10 when it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, Jesus knows that money and possessions can be a source of great blessing in our lives, or it can be a source of great brokenness in our lives. And this has to do with the fact that I can either master money or possessions, or I can be mastered by them. Our faith in Jesus speaks volumes about the way that we steward our money and our possessions. That's why Jesus so famously said in Matthew 6, 24, that no one can serve two masters since he either will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's strong language. You cannot serve both God and money. So growing in Christian maturity means that I bring my conviction of what money and possessions are for, I bring it under the rulership and the kingdom of Jesus. You know, one of the, the first battles that I had to fight many years ago when I felt God calling me to full-time ministry 
was within my own heart. I was so obsessed with materialism and money that on the spot I had to make a decision that day. Was I going to serve Jesus and use money or will I serve money and just use God? No, everything changes when we realize we now live under a new king and a new kingdom. But the second principle we wanna look at is how the generous nature of the Father changes everything. You see, I think one of the most powerful forces for change in our hearts is coming into a deeper understanding of the nature of our Father. This famous passage of scripture, John 3:16 says, for God loved the world in this way, he gave, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, the very nature of God is one of giving, of generosity, of selflessness on our behalf. And this was illustrated so beautifully in John chapter four, when Jesus had this moment of interaction with a woman at the well. And, you know, he asks her for a drink of water, but Please keep in mind that it went completely against the culture of the day for Jews and Samaritans to have any kind of interaction. And listen to what is said. John 4 verse 10 says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Once again, the message paraphrases this. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God, do you see that Jesus comes to reveal himself as God's generosity in spite of any boundaries of gender or culture or nationality? No, God in his very nature is generous giving his very best, giving lavishly, giving over the top is part of who God is. He gave of himself in Jesus for us. There is nothing more precious, nothing greater that God could ever give. And he gave it on our behalf that we would experience life and life to the full. And then he went even further and he graciously gave us his spirit, the counselor, to come and make his home within us. The Father is always ready and willing to give in an extravagant way. It's part of his very nature. And the Bible says that Christians are of the same nature as the Father. Maybe one more element to the nature of God that we need to grasp is the fact that everything belongs to God, everything that you are, everything you have, everything you can ever accomplish is because of the generous giving of God into your life. Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. So life and the universe doesn't revolve around me. No, it's for God and because of God. And so it's so important for me to realize that that thought challenges us. And number one, our ownership, how we think about ownership, but secondly also in the way that I think. 
about how I can steward the time and the treasures and the talents that have been entrusted to me. And how can I deploy them in God's world to bring faith and love and hope. Maybe the third principle we can look at is how the good news, the gospel of Jesus, it rearranges everything of importance in my life. You see, before Jesus in our lives, the best of what we had, we would usually deploy for our own dreams and desires. But when we read the Bible, we find a principle that goes directly against that. And it's a principle that's been practiced for ages. And it's this, it's to give my first, my very best to God. Exodus 23 verse 19 says, bring the best of the first fruits of your land to the house of the Lord your God. Exodus 13 2 says, dedicate to me the firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both humans and animals. It belongs to me. Paul, even in Romans 11, calls the first fruits holy. I mean, Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he understood this principle so deeply in his heart that every single one of the letters that he wrote to the early Jesus communities in the New Testament, they are just filled with these prescriptions of what a generous life and generous giving looks like. So one example could be 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 that says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all that you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So we bring our firsts, our very best to God, not so that He would return the favor in some way or so that we would strong arm Him into something. No, we do it as a response of lavish giving to the lavish giving that God has accomplished in Jesus. We respond to the good news of Jesus with a life of generosity. We give because of the gospel. We don't give because of religiosity or feelings of guilt or because we feel compelled. We give because of Jesus and the lavishness of His love on the cross. It's a call for us to live beyond ourselves, to bring with what we have been entrusted with faith and love and hope to this world. You know, God has created us, I believe, in a certain way, to live in a certain way. And we flourish when we follow the wisdom of God in every area of life, including generosity. And so we've found these three spheres of generous giving that I think speaks of how we cultivate a life of generosity. And it's being generous with your time, with your treasures, and with your talents. So first, uh, being generous with our time. You see, all of us have been given exactly the same amount of minutes and an hour, hours and a day, day and a week, and so on and so on. But how we spend that time is an issue of stewardship. And so there's a couple of the parables that Jesus teaches in His ministry 
that is there to show us as His followers that God is calling us to steward the time that He has given us well and not as some religious duty that we have to fulfill. But we do this so that the time given to us would be deployed to bring faith and love and hope to our families and our cities and our communities. And now that we understand that we should bring our first and our best to the Lord, we can proportionally and intentionally give of our time to bless those around us, to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that's, that's a fantastic thought that I'm cultivating a life of generosity when I seize a moment of time and I make someone else's life better. In that moment, I'm exhibiting the glory of God, the goodness of His kingdom, and we are putting God on display for all the world to see. But secondly, we want to use our treasures generously. You see, we practice this extravagant, lavish generosity of God when we give of our finances to build the kingdom. And so in writing to the Corinthian church, Paul, one of the apostles and early followers of Jesus, he actually mentions another church, the Macedonian church, as an example of people, of Jesus' followers who understood what generous financial giving was all about. And please note that he uses the word grace to speak about financial giving. Why? Because it's a response to the good news of Jesus. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 8 Verse one, he says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Verse seven, now as you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. So we give generously, we give consistently, we give in a planned manner because that speaks of the nature of the God that we serve. And maybe finally, we want to use our talents generously. Just as the time and the finances that God has generously given us need to be stewarded well, so too the gifts of talent that God has given us. In Matthew 25, one of the parables that Jesus teaches, it speaks of these three servants that are given a resource each. And we can interpret these resources as any gift given to us by God. So in this case, it would be our talents. But the point is that in this parable, the master, he praises those servants that took the resources that was given to them and multiplied them. And we have to understand it's exactly the same thing. God has generously gifted us with talents and abilities. And it's an opportunity for us not to waste them, but to use them to bring goodness of God's kingdom to this world. Every time that I use my talent of whatever sort, in accordance with God's heart and kingdom and will, and I do it to the good of others. I am being the hands and the feet of God on this earth. Maybe a last thought on the importance of generosity. Paul, the apostle, makes 
a pretty astounding statement when he says the following in 2 Corinthians 9. He says in verse 7, You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Cheerfully. It's, it's actually the only time this Greek word is used in all of the New Testament. And it's, it's directly in opposition to this idea of grumbling and kind of being forced to you know, religiously do something. No, it speaks of an attitude of happiness. An attitude of happiness. You see, Jesus knew the importance of money and possessions to the people of His time and to us today. That's why 16 out of the 38 parables that He tells are about stewardship. And you know, some people have this idea that Jesus demonized money, that He had an issue with money. But that's not the case. Jesus never wanted us to hate money, but He never wanted our hearts to belong to money and possessions, but to belong to Him. You know, on some very specific islands of our world, you find this thing called a Pisonia tree. And its seeds are these sticky little seeds with hooks on them. And these birds called black noddies, they actually pick up these seeds and they take them to different islands. But if these poor birds get overwhelmed with too many of these seeds that hook onto them, that stick to them, these birds get so weighed down that eventually they can't fly and they die on the ground. It's pretty horrible. And that's why these Pisonia trees have often been called bird killers. You see, Jesus knew that if money and possessions became our God, we serve it, we love it, we run after it, it would become the faith and life killers of our world. That's why 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. You see, someone that has resources in their life but is sold out for Jesus can both enjoy it and make an enormous impact in this world for the kingdom. So in closing, I want you just to remember always that God is a generous Father. It's because of what He has done, generously giving, sacrificing on our behalf, that we know that we are highly favored and deeply loved and richly blessed. Now, generosity is a brilliant way of living that was dreamt up in the very heart and nature of God. And He invites us today as followers of Jesus to be partners in establishing His kingdom of truth and love and grace on this earth. Freely He has given to us, 
and so freely we want to give, to live beyond ourselves and bring faith, love, and hope to our families, communities, cities, and our world. So as you take daily steps with Jesus, I trust that you will start cultivating a life of generosity. Let's pray together. Jesus, I wanna thank you that you never held back in giving of yourself for us. And God, I pray that every person hearing my voice would be so taken in by the lavishness of the cross and of the gospel, that God, our response would be a life of cultivating greater and greater generosity for your glory and for the good of those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks so much for spending time with me and I will see you in our next session. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.